Welcome to the Leadership Pulse, Healthcare's Culture's New Heartbeat, where we talk about all things leadership, burnout, and culture. I'm your co-host, Jessica Zampetri. I'm your co-host, Becky Wolf, and with us today, we have John McDonald. Uh, welcome to the podcast, John. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. This is really great. Uh, I've had many people on, and this is actually the first podcast I've been on, so it's it's a pleasure, of course. Ah. Thank you. That's so I'm awesome. going to just do a little introduction and tell a little bit about you. And I'm going to ask a question that we ask every one of our guests. Yeah, okay. Sure. All right. So John McDonald is a pharmacist who lives with his wife, Carolyn, and four boys in Western New York. He completed his doctorate in pharmacy at St. John Fisher University, Wegman School of Pharmacy in Rochester, New York. His diverse experience in healthcare includes retail pharmacy management, inpatient clinical pharmacy, corporate wellness, healthcare sales, consulting, and most recently podcasting. He's passionate about assisting others in reaching their goals and even creates reviews, resumes for job seekers as a hobby. More specifically, John is working to promote preventative measures to fend off burnout. At home, John loves to take his boys to their family cabin and on hikes, despite the protests from his progeny. As a creative, he enjoys drawing, writing, music, poetry, and woodworking. If you give him appropriate clothing and kick him outside, he couldn't be happier. Uh, you can look at, you can check out more of John uh, through other social media sites like Instagram at Pharmasaurus and his website, which is www.groccs.com. And we'll link to those in the show notes as well. Uh, John, again, thanks for having, uh, or thanks for being on the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. So I'm going to start the conversation with this question. Yeah. If there was one thing you could shout from the rooftops that you want every person in healthcare to hear about culture, burnout, or medicine in general, what would that be? Don't do it for the money. Don't try to find a job based on what the salary is. That's that's the best piece of advice I can give any student or anybody looking to make a career change. I can yeah. I can keep going from that. But I would just jabber on and on, uh, but too many people that I know, especially in pharmacy, they look at the salary because it's it's always been listed as one of the top uh, salaries, top 10 salaries coming out of school. And I'm guessing that's why a lot of people chose it. Because when I was in school, 50% of the uh, students in uh, my class never even stepped foot in a pharmacy before. And that goes to show you that's why some people are making a lot of these decisions. And then they experience burnout because they're actually not passionate about what they do. Yeah. So are you speaking from experience, John? Oh, no. <laughs> I know drugs. <laughs> Um, no. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, so when I started in pharmacy, I was a technician, actually, I worked for Wegmans. I, I was a cashier and did front end management type stuff, not full management, but the runners, you know, people running around helping. Somebody yep. said, you should try, uh, going into pharmacy. You can go be a technician. I went for the job and the guy said, no, he said, your sister already works in here. You're, you're not getting hired. So I went to maintenance instead for a year. So. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. yeah. You empty people's trash. They love you. Sometimes they feed you. So it's, it was yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then what made you choose pharmacy? I'm just yeah. curious. Like what was the driving force behind the career? Originally the idea was I wanted a big family. Uh, we wanted six kids to start with. Uh, both my wife and I wanted big families. We both came from larger families. I came from a family of six. And I said, okay, I want to do something outside of engineering because that's what my family had done. I wanted to go into medicine and use my personality and have some sort of a, a good work-life balance. That was the primary reason. Science, 
work-life balance and money was money was a great uh motivator but things change obviously when you're when you're in school but originally i thought it was going to be just a great work-life balance uh Medicine's changed, pharmacy's changed, it's changed for everybody since COVID, but I didn't have a clear expectation or rather a clear understanding of what expectation I should have had for that work-life balance because you make it really. So then um, getting into your career then, and then the expectation really wasn't what you thought it would be. Um, Tell us about like the trajectory since, Mm. like uh, kind of finding your footing to like where your your career went. So after making the decision to go into pharmacy, then tell me a little bit more about like what happened. I thought retail all the way. I thought retail (laughs) because I was a Wegmans guy. Like when you go into Wegmans, you are there forever. Uh, But... I had a dose of reality when I did not get hired following my internship. They had, I can't remember how many they had. I think they had 12 interns at the time. Six got hired, six did not. So that was a huge, I felt it was like an attack on my personality, my character, what I've done. I was like, what? I've given you a lot. So I went to Walgreens. I'll say it out loud because I will never work for them again. Um, I was there for a year and a half. And I said, I will not be in medicine ever again. I started interviewing for sales positions and lab positions uh, and wild stuff that we don't need to get into here, but like real estate, (laughs) just like wild things. And I put my foot out there or into different worlds that I wasn't expecting to get hired into but I really wanted to get into clinical pharmacy in the hospital. I I wanted to do residency. I didn't match when I wanted to. We were pregnant when I was in school, so we couldn't move across the country uh, when we graduated for uh, a residency, when we had to scramble. And so I thought those dreams were gone. And then a University of Rochester here, which is a big teaching hospital. uh, So you're aware of it. It's, it was like a dream of mine to be hired by them. And I went for an overnight position for clinical. Uh, and they said in my, my last interview, cause it was a long interview. They said, do you really want to do overnights? And I was like, well, I should lie because I don't want to be where I am at right now. But I was like, you know what? No, I really don't. This is a stepping stone. I want to be on days. And he, they gave me days. And that's, I feel like that's when I had the confidence to start moving in the trajectory that I wanted to. Uh, so that's kind of where it started was at the U of R, kind of taking a leap of faith on me. And it turned out really well. They, I got a few different offers with them in management. And I, I guess offers like that show their appreciation and, and show um, kind of your experience and how it's, how it's worked for both the team and management itself. So I felt really confident following that. So that's where my career started to, I was able to direct it a little bit more. Yeah. What do you think they saw in you to be able to like start offering you those management positions? I, I was hired on with a few other people and without saying any names, some of the, one of the other individuals I was hired with was, you know, he was, BCPS certified in, in infectious disease. And he had all these great accolades following him, but wasn't a great team player. And I thought, I'm not going to hold a candle to this guy. And 
six months later, he was already out of a job because he was on probation and didn't make it through because the team didn't want to work with him. So what I learned from that time is it's not about how smart you are. It's not about how intelligent you project yourself to be. Um, it's not even all the accolades that you have. If you can't work on a team, uh, you can't work with anybody. Nobody's going to work with you. Because even if you're a sole proprietor, uh, you have your own LLC, you have to have clients and the clients are going to, you have to have, have clients that want to work with you. So what I learned was that who I am in my personality and how I can build teams and how I can solve conflicts, how I can organize uh, or, organize projects to be completed. That's what really built me up. And I always thought it was, I need to understand uh, the I don't know, the, the RAS system better, or, uh, I, what, what is thalassemini? What is that? I don't, I thought I had to have all this intelligence behind everything I did, but it's about where you can find the answer and who you can work with and what resources you can use to accomplish the task. So I, I want people to stop focusing on making sure you get just knowledge, 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 knowledge all the time and only focusing on that because if you're not going to work on a team, if you can't develop those soft skills, that, that knowledge doesn't mean anything. Did I ramble at that point? Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no you're fine. Good. And I think that's that's perfect because you said in like management and that's what um, that we teach people is like that uh, the core of the leader is made up of three different things. It's, it's soft skills, mm -hmm. so it's IQ and self-awareness. Um, so it's, well, self-awareness and then it's EQ. Um those are the two soft skill areas that you have to know really well, but then it's IQ. And then you can't just have IQ without yeah. other soft skills to actually be in a management position or be in a, a leadership position. Um, and I think you highlighted so well teamwork. You have to be able to be a team player. And it is collaboration within teams that actually highlights the strength of the team. And the, the leader is the one that actually builds the team up in that case. So you highlighted that really, really well. So uh, I appreciate that. So then um, getting into that section um, in clinical medicine, is that the work that you're doing now or what, no. what are you doing? So what I'm doing now is I'm back with Wegmans after the U of R. Mm -hmm. I worked for the U of R for four years uh, and mm -hmm. then Wegmans reached back out to me and they asked me if I wanted to come back and work with them. And I did. And when I was there, I, I was a supervising pharmacist. I was involved in the corporate wellness. So that's where a lot of the sales came. Mm -hmm. we, we built a team to execute wellness services for businesses around the area, clear wave testing, mm -hmm. blood testing, BMI, blood pressure. And I would do presentations as well. Um, but also was involved in the, a role called district wellness, where even though it sounds like exactly the same thing, it was more about education for our colleagues, the pharmacists, the technicians and management and finding support. So many projects, weekly updates for them, um, relaying federal state regulations, just a conglomerate of a lot of, of education and team building COVID hit and the CLIA wave testing stuff kind of just dropped because if it wasn't necessary, you're not going to be face to face with anybody, especially taking their blood. So, uh, I went back to functioning as a staff pharmacist at that time mm -hmm. and this, being a staff pharmacist doesn't fulfill me completely. That's not what I wanted to do. So that's when I started the consulting. Uh, when I'm I'm a pharmacy consultant, but I also do healthcare consulting. 
And if, if anybody's curious to what I do with that, we can talk about that at some point. But af after I started the consulting company, Mike Asbeck and I have always been talking like, let's, we got to do something in healthcare. Let's do a business. Let's do something. And podcasting came up and we, we saw that there was a need for medical education that wasn't dry and boring. Uh, because I, I'm someone who likes to drive and listen to something. And I went through so many podcasts trying to find something that wouldn't bore the life out of me or wasn't just quippy updates from the New England Journal of Medicine. Like, that's great, but mm -hmm. that doesn't help my career. Um, I can read that on my own time. I want something that's slightly entertaining, but at the same time, helpful and real. So I'm, I've, I'm a type of person that wants to be real all the time, and I don't like to be fake. So podcasting just seemed to be one of the ways we could start educating others. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm a retail pharmacist, but moving into some other areas of medical education and also consulting uh, for physicians, NPs, PAs, and such. And for your podcast, have you found like trends in certain topics that you guys talk about that are really yeah. the popular ones? One of the most popular topics we talked about was the burnout. We we just completed a burnout series, clinical burnout. And in my research of clinical burnout, I learned so much. Um, how prevalent it actually is, how when you're experiencing burnout, the levels to which you experience it, you probably have a lot of other colleagues experiencing the same thing. So you feel alone, but you're not. Um, and it hit a core with a lot of people, obviously following COVID, everybody's life's changed. And so people are trying to redefine themselves. Uh, so with burnout, it's kind of a the trigger to change your life, you get low enough, right? Where you only have upwards to look. So some people will make the choice to push towards it, or they're going to sit and burn out for a long time. And that could be detrimental to their family and business and just their life in general. So that's why I think it hit, it struck such a chord for folks. And now I'm seeing, and as you're probably seeing it too, all across LinkedIn, uh, all across other socials, is burnout. Everybody's talking about burnout. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a popular subject uh, across medicine. And is that part of the work that you're doing with consulting right now is more education regarding those types of things? Or can you tell us a little bit more about the consulting yeah. work you're doing? No. So the consulting side uh, is a separate business. I work with FQHC, uh, Article 28A facilities. So what, what I do for them, it was originally starting as some of these federally qualified clinics have to have a pharmacy consultant on just uh, to make sure that we're, we're following regulations, waste is appropriate, medication errors. If you've been in a clinical setting, you know what a pharmacy, consult, pharmacy consultant has to do or pharmacist consultant. Mm -hmm. But I can't just do that. I'm bent on improving uh, services, uh, improving quality. So I will ask whoever I'm working with at a clinic, what else are you looking for? Is it labor issues? Is it uh, knowledge, education? Is it supplies? What is it that you guys need here? And for instance, the first client, uh, they had no industry relationships. Uh, my This area mm -hmm. is very, uh, it's hard to crack into if you're in industry. 
just averse to it. Um, the two biggest health systems here don't don't really see kindly uh, on industry. So I said, well, I've got industry relations. What do you need? And they tell they told me what I they needed, especially for their diabetic patients. So they're like, I'll get you samples. I'll get you connected to an MSL and to sales folks um, to, to stack you on samples. And that that's where it started is making sure that we could provide their patients with something that they couldn't before, especially when it's a population primarily uh, low socioeconomic Medicaid, Medicare, um, Black and Hispanic, Latino uh, community primarily. So it was a huge boost for, for me too. I felt good. I was like, wow, a, a small little email communication with industry improved the lives of so many other people. I thought, okay, so that's a motivation to move forward. And so we moved into other areas too. And so it's, that's where the healthcare consulting comes from. It starts with pharmacy where I build policies and procedures, make sure that if the DOH comes in, anybody uh, looking to find or cite you, I don't want any of that for you guys. And then following that, I want to make sure that you're set up for success in the future. So that's my bent in consulting. I leave it open-ended, making sure I'm fulfilling the needs of whoever I'm working with and not making up a need for them. What I'm hearing is that like you've got a real love for building out things that have large impact. And I mean, you can see it through what you were just describing and then the burnout podcast and all of that. What do you think is your piece of advice for individuals that are dealing with burnout or as well as like, how do you build better mm. teams? Okay. So individually on an individual level, if you're experiencing burnout or you're not sure, my number one piece of advice is find a therapist. Uh, I saw a TikTok recently. It, this, this Scottish uh, woman was saying how they didn't tell you that when you start going to therapy, that when you're out of therapy, when you start doing well, that you have to start dealing with people who need therapy. And I thought, wow, that is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and I'm not shy, I'm not shy about it either. Um, I was a, I was averse to, to therapy, you know, CBT type practices. Now that I'm in it, I feel like one of those door-to-door -door vacuum salesmen that wants to go and ask, you know, have you heard about therapy and give them brochures? Because I believe that everybody's <laughs> life can be uh, better with self-reflection. That's what, that's what therapy helps you with. People don't understand why they're burned out. It might not even be their work. You know, it, it, it mm -hmm. might be that they're not, they're not having any sort of self-care. Maybe, maybe they don't have a hobby. Maybe it's something so simple. Uh, and sometimes it was mm -hmm. the simplest things in therapy that showed me your life has meaning outside of, outside of work. Um, and that's what we found out during the burnout series. Some of the best advice coming from places like the Mayo Clinic, who did the probably the most extensive research on this, was to make sure that you have a life outside of work. Um, make sure you have a hobby that you actually are indulging. That that is something that helps you. Um, video games might help you. I don't. I don't know. But if you're just saying that because you can disconnect. Uh, and it's not really building you up, edifying you, then maybe it's not your thing. Maybe you need to go take a walk every morning. So therapy is mm -hmm. something I would recommend for any individual. On a, on a management standpoint, I think it's much more difficult because it depends on the culture of your company. If you're leading the culture, 
you have a better chance of making the impact. But if you're middle management in a company with the cultures not supporting it, uh, even if they say they are by offering small little nuggets of help that don't really have an impact, I don't know how much you can do except for your immediate team. Uh, I know, and I'm sure that you two know as well, the best bosses you've ever had. And it yeah. wasn't the ones who accomplished the greatest things or who impacted the numbers the best or KPIs. The best management you've ever had uh, I suspect are the ones that took an interest in you, in you personally, who, when the proverbial, I don't, do you guys swear on this one? I'm not sure if you listed E when the proverbial poo poo hits the fan <laughs> that they actually, that they actually have your back, uh, irregardless of what their management thinks of them, that is a good manager. Mm -hmm. And that will help any team rally around the team itself. Um, Mm -hmm. I've had both yeah. sides of that. I'm sure you have, mm -hmm. you have well, you have as well. Yeah, And I, I mean, it all comes, <laughs> it all comes down to, did you make me feel heard, mm -hmm. seen and like mm -hmm. I matter? Mm -hmm. And I think some people are really bad at communicating mm -hmm. those values or making it seen front and center. And so the good bosses, the good leaders are the ones that can do that at mm -hmm. scale. And mm -hmm. Or leaders making leaders because you can tell when there is a a boss who is trying to make it to the next level versus a leader who just loves their people it's extremely obvious yeah. it's not obvious to them but everybody else sees it um and all they want yeah. even if it is them being promoted there's like just get them out of here i don't even care promote them out of my place mm -hmm. um yeah so that what you're saying your, yourself is therapy learning how to communicate mm -hmm. And everybody else listening, that's that's one what's one thing you learn in therapy is how to communicate better. So that's number two reason to do it <laughs> yeah, at least. I think you know, with therapy too, I mean I work with predominantly surgeons and physicians. There's seems to be a stigma mm -hmm. against going to mm -hmm. therapy because they fear licenses on the line, they don't want to ever have it held against mm -hmm. them and all of those fears. Can you speak a little bit into yeah, it's that? It's got the same HIPAA regulations that we do within clinics. And uh, the only time that a therapist has to report something is if you or somebody else is in immediate physical danger. And the extent to which they hold this close is very close. There are times when I didn't understand how a therapist wouldn't have reached out to some reporting body, but it's because if they don't have that respect, um, if they don't have that closed loop system or trust of their patient, therapy would go by the wayside. People wouldn't trust it. But I, I do understand. I do understand that uh, sentiment from people who are who don't want to go into therapy. But if you hate your job, or you are burned out or you don't know what's going on, but you just feel out of your mind or disconnected. Maybe you're dehumanizing other people. Maybe you're waking up just fogged out. Is it worth keeping your job to maintain that over getting true help with therapy? Mm -hmm. I mean, the fear keeps you there, sure. Uh, but I don't believe it's worth it. That's yeah. a good flip. 
yeah, perspective. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah, it's almost like, well, are, do you want to stay with where you're at and feel miserable, mm-hmm. or are you willing to grab for the help? That's it, yeah, and therapy there. isn't the only way to do it, but I would I would suggest mm-hmm. that it is the the fastest, uh, most effective way to get where you want to go because it hurts. It it is like surgery. It's like cutting into your spinal yeah. tissue, and you have a long time to repair. But once it's set, like it's set, like you have tools now, you know how to go back into those difficult places uh, where you maybe even you experience burnout, maybe you don't leave your job, but now you can deal with it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the most important yeah. piece for burnout. Yeah, you, you have to have correct mm-hmm. coping skills. Uh, smoking, drinking, entertaining yourself to death, mm-hmm. that doesn't work. Those are yeah. not uh, appropriate coping skills that will take you long-term. They're survival skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know you're really big, John, on, on continuing education mm-hmm. with people that go into medicine yeah. and helping them, because I think, you know, part of it too, why aren't you getting a little bit deeper into the personality aspect of things too? It's like really figuring out what you're good at, what energizes you, mm-hmm. like what you actually want to do and your place in either medicine or um, in a potentially a different role in like podcasting, for mm-hmm. example, uh, for you, it's like, it's, it's a side thing, yep. but it's something that's energizing and it's fulfilling for you. Um, and I think for people in medicine, sometimes they just don't want to entertain that idea of like, well, what, you know, I can do something on the side or, um, I know you and I have talked about this before too, but even just starting your own business mm-hmm. and, and doing some side stuff in what, with what you can do with your license. There's so many options mm-hmm. available of what you can do. Um, it's just educating yourself on the potential possibilities. Our first podcast was on networking and apart from therapy, cause that's more of the getting you up to where you should be. Uh, every human should ha- be at a baseline. We need, we should be happy. We should be safe. Um, we should be healthy. We should be at peace. Uh, but outside of that professionally mentorship, I think is extremely important. Because that's another way to measure yourself against yourself or where you want to be or who you want to be. Somebody who yeah, has yeah. some some insight to your life, who you feel comfortable with. Uh, I've explored different options of what to do in a business before I did it. Because it, it wasn't consulting to begin with. I had so many ideas. Uh, financial advising is one of the ones that I had been offered to for somebody to pay for my series six uh, financial advising license as a pharmacist, so I can help people financially as well. Um, but the passion that I found, I, cause I, I dabbled with a few different things is I generalized. I said, okay, what do I really like about all the stuff I'm doing? The consulting, uh, being a, a pharmacist, both inpatient, outpatient, uh, and the podcasting, what is it? What's common between them all? And what I found is that, I love to help people get from where they are to where they want to be. So all, all of these three positions I have in my career right now enable me to connect people to the right people to get where they want to go, or at least put them on the right path, mm-hmm. whether that is you know reviewing CVs and letter of intents, whether that's uh, somebody reaching out to us from the podcast and saying, hey, I want to know about this, and I connect them directly to people working in that industry. I find a lot of pleasure in just making, helping other people become more happy. That's what I'm, that's what I'm finding out. Uh, And if I'm going to add a little bit of uh, a kick to somebody else too, Alex Barker from the Happy Farm D, um, 
we had okay. him on as well. And that was his motivation is let's get people out of the unhappy positions to the happy positions and your patients are going to be better off that way anyways. You're going to be more passionate about your work. And um, like Dr. House, he he's not a really kind person, but everybody wanted to be treated by him because he had a passion for the medicine. Somehow that worked out. It's television, but that's the extreme. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And I think it just speaks to the creativity that's there. Once you're healthy too, I think once you kind of get out of that space of feeling burned out and like seeing to the other side of what's possible, then your brain starts to go towards innovating more. Mm. And you have the ability to figure out what are those pieces in the puzzles that you can put together to feel like a whole person again. Yes. Um, so no, I love that you shared that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Because I know like the physicians that I've got that are burnt out, it's it's tough because they once they don't have that almost like space to be creative, mm-hmm. it's it affects the rest mm-hmm. of their life mm-hmm. and they start losing sight of the vision and the mission that originally got them in medicine. And then the excitement starts to go away mm-hmm. and it's difficult to watch like that trajectory of the physicians that I've got close relationships with because they come in with this bright eyed, wide open love for medicine and creativity. And as the years go by, it keeps chipping away at mm-hmm. that. So we, we just had, uh, it just released today actually. So when you release this podcast, this is going to be old news. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> we had Dr. Betsy Grunch on. And I'm not sure. Yeah. I follow her on yeah. TikTok. Love so her. we had her on and she's a neurosurgeon. And we talk a little bit about this. Like you're already busy. You're already busy as a neurosurgeon. Now she, if anybody has an excuse, it's her that she can't do other side businesses, even hobbies. And every, everybody in the world would say, yeah, we understand. But she finds a lot of uh, happiness uh, and pleasure in doing the social media. She always, she liked it to begin with. And she's like, oh, why don't I try something? Uh, and so you can listen more about that story on the podcast, White Coast of the Round Table. But she makes, makes the point that you have to have hobbies to feel like a normal person, or you have to have some sort of outlet to feel like a normal person because anybody can get involved in their job. If you're a neurosurgeon, great. Maybe you run a cemetery. Like you can get involved in your job too. Like it doesn't have to be just neurosurgeons that I get burned out. Um, This goes for anybody. Yeah. And she's definitely like a huge example where, I mean, her TikTok is incredible. Like all of her social media and the impact she has from it. I mean, you see it on the comments and the posts where like you've got aspiring women to go into medicine that are now looking at neurosurgery Mm -hmm. or spine surgery as an option where before she was front and center, it, it wasn't really, they didn't really believe it was an option. And so the impact she gets to Mm -hmm. have through actually like those other passions, that's, it's incredible. Passions. Like don't fool yourself, everybody, like find your actual passion, not what you wish was your passion. Maybe that's a big mistake people make. Mm, that's a good yeah. line. Yeah, I love that. And I think the term, uh, you know, going back to healthcare as a whole too, like moral injury kind of comes up because we get into medicine with identifying with taking care of people, helping people. Mm-hmm. And when our values are constantly like stepped on or like when we don't feel like we're doing the work that we set out to do to begin with, yeah. 
I think it just our, our identity is almost um, crippled to some extent. So it is having conversations like this, honestly, of like taking like, okay, what can you do to feel human and whole again? And what is it outside of work that makes you feel whole? Because your identity is not wrapped up in work. Mm -hmm. Your identity is you're, you're a person before you go into that hospital or to that clinic or to that pharmacy. You're that person. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to have these conversations on burnout and really helping people you know, figure out what it is that, that they're passionate about to move them forward. Yeah, and I love that you, what you're doing with the Leadership Pulse, mm -hmm. uh, helping people understand where they can be as well. Uh, and even mentioning the idea of really what is your passion and not what you wish it was, uh, to find finding yourself to be a normal human being as a neurosurgeon uh, sometimes just takes breaking down and stop thinking about yourself as a neurosurgeon, thinking yourself as just a human and what are your basic needs? Like what's your what's your hierarchy according to Maslow and start building upon that. Um, because if you look across the street and see a really nice house and you want that, sometimes you're going to probably more than not make decisions to get that nice thing that doesn't align with who you are doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's not going to really make you happy at all. That's actually a good point. So what suggestions do you have as we start wrapping this up for someone being able to dig deep and finding those things? Okay. Apart from getting a therapist again, which <laughs> I don't get paid by BetterHelp, but I say go to BetterHelp. <laughs> <laughs> I would say utilize your resources at work too. If you are actually burned out, that is mental health. If, you're, if your work is being affected, if your home life is being affected, go to your HR. Tell them what's going on. There is protection there as well with EAP. Um, so you also have disability too. If you need disability, take the disability. Your life is worth it at that point. But that in emergent situations, that'd be the first step. If you don't know what's happening, if you feel like you're going to crack, just you need to go get actual help. Apart from that, I would say start finding a way to utilize self-care, whether that is meditation, which is something I recommend. I, again, like therapy, I was against it. I thought it was weird voodoo hippie stuff. And then I started doing it and I was like, God, this is amazing. I feel great. It's like having a drink. <laughs> so I try to do like a, a meditation in the morning, even five to 10 minutes. Uh, I use the Calm app. So mm -hmm. one of my favorites is Jay Shetty. He's He used to be a monk in India, right? So he's very popular yeah. right now anyways, but he's got a lot of content on there. So I meditate in the morning and I try to do a meditation at night as well. Uh, it's basic principles of self-care, eating, try to eat a a little bit healthier. Uh, a lot of insurances pay for you to see a nutritionist uh, or dietitian, so you could do that. We had a podcast where we had a, a nutritionist on named Jennifer Harrington, and she talks about the imp importance of nutrition in burnout as well. If you're surgeons, I'm thinking about surgeons, so they're in surgery sometimes 12 hours plus, and food, bathroom, like it's just not as easy to accomplish the basic human tasks. And so you're going to be going for things like the honey buns out of the out of the the, the vending machine instead of packing apples and carrots. Yeah. But 
just like on long road trips, when you think you're going to feel good, bring along all that crap in, in your car with you to eat, you always feel like junk at the end of your car ride. So feed your body what it needs to be fed uh, emotionally uh, with meditation, therapy, walking, whatever that is, physically with exercise uh, or sleep. Like if you're not getting enough sleep, that impacts your, your health more significantly than most things. Uh, and lastly, try to do something that makes you feel happy first thing in the morning. Start your day off. Even it, that doesn't mean you have to work out. It doesn't mean you have to meditate and sit there and do something you don't like. Even if that means literally playing a video game for five minutes on your phone, if that makes you happy, do that thing to start off your day. Uh, because getting that dopamine right off the bat, rather than feeling like the day's attacking you, you attack the day and take a handle of it. You're going to feel a lot better that way. So a, a couple recommendations and they are spread out. I know. Uh, yeah. But to reiterate, if I rambled for anybody hearing listening right now in your car, number one, therapist and HR, if you're really needing help right away, number two, taking care of yourself physically, eat right, sleep more. And then emotionally, spiritually, if, if you will, meditate, do something that makes you happy in the first uh, hours of the day. Um, and if you're opposed to meditating, just try it out. There's a lot of free meditations out there. Just see what it's like. Uh, you might feel silly sitting there with your hands open or breathing and wondering if your spouse is going to walk in on you and wonder what the heck is going on. Uh, risk it, baby. It's, it's worth it. <laughs> Those are great tips. Those are amazing tips. So we appreciate wrapping up uh, in that way, John. Yeah. So uh, where can people find you? What's, what are the most um, prevalent social media sites that you're on? Or yeah, give some shout -outs please uh, come in. I, thank you for having me on the podcast. We, I have my own podcast, like I mentioned before. So if you can head over yeah. to, uh, we have TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, uh, and then all of the major streaming platforms, White Coats of the Round Table. Uh, we also have uh, website, webcoatsaroundtable.com. We have Patreon as well. Uh, but personally, uh, you may be able to see me on places like Instagram as well under Pharmasaurus. Uh, but go over there if it's not really. Uh, you guys edit this later? Yes. Yeah. Cut that out. I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want my personal Instagram on there. <laughs> um, okay. I'll take two. You can find me at whitecoatsoftheroundtable.com and we're on all major stream platforms for the podcast. But we do uh, respond to Facebook, Instagram, and we are now on Reddit as well. So please look us up, uh, chat Perfect. with us. We love yeah. to help. And of course, anybody who is listening and that you guys uh, talk to who is looking for this type of help or want to talk a bit more, send them our way. I would love to chat with somebody. It's We're not as closed off as probably people think. Um, and you probably feel the same way, uh, but Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, thanks well, so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. Yeah. Thank All you. Right, John. Bye -bye now. And thanks for listening to this episode of the leadership pulse.